Better not. <laughs> wow. Let's get all the ideas out there. Okay. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, okay. The Old Testament reading is from a variety of First King verses. Elijah announces a great drought. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah and Obadiah. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew back with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The grass withers and the flowers fall. And the New Testament reading is from James 5. 13 through 20. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. If you've been with us through the summer, you'll know that we're preaching through the book of James, and this is our last uh, sermon and the last passage of James. Um, in it, James continues his theme uh, that's been running through the whole book of unity among the believers and true, true faith, deep faith that leads to action. And he's going to continue that um, in this passage as he exhorts us to one another in prayer. He, uh, he encourages us, he exhorts believers uh, to two things, to both pray and to ask for it. To pray and to ask for it, and that is what we're going to talk about today. Let me pray for us as we jump in. Heavenly Father, um, we know that no good thing comes about unless you're in it. And we know that these will be just words spoken aloud unless you are in them unless you awaken our hearts, unless you empower the speaker. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. Amen. So James exhorts us to pray and to ask for prayer. Um, James is telling us uh, to be vulnerable and, uh, vulnerable and powerful in our faith. And at that intersection, we're going to meet the living God. Because it's a pretty vulnerable thing to ask for prayer, 
isn't it? To put yourself out there. You essentially, what you're saying is, I don't have the resources in myself, either because of, um, you know, he's, he talks about basically two categories, sicknesses and sadnesses and sins. So either I've got a sickness that's too big for me or a sin that's too big for me and I need prayer. That's a pretty vulnerable place. It's a pretty humble place to come and say, uh, to say that. Um, and then the other is to, uh, he exhorts us to prayer, to prayer, the prayer of faith. The prayer offered in faith is powerful as it's working. And, uh, and he, exhort, he exhorts us to both the vulnerability and the power where we'll meet God. But most of us, most of us really want one or the other. Our world really is into the vulnerability thing, right? They're into into being vulnerable, into offering uh, offering our need. Uh, Brene Brown has been a big advocate of this in a great way. She talks a whole lot about shame, and uh, and she says this. This is a just a brief intro to her theory here. She says if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. If we can share our story to someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. A lot of us have had that experience where you share some story, some embarrassing thing, some inward thing with someone who just drops it, who just changes the subject, who, uh, who does some way, who responds in a way that's not empathetic or understanding, and it just makes, it, makes you say, oh, I'm going to hide that one a little deeper. I'm going to cover that one up a little more. But Brene Brown says, if you can share your story in other places, she, exor- she uh, encourages you to choose wisely with whom you share. But if you can share your story with someone who will respond in empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. It, ex- it, uh, it exposes sh- uh, shame and uh, much like the sun will burn away the early morning fog here on the mountain, she says that, uh, that shame will, will, will be dissipated in that environment. You ever had, uh, you know, there's a recurring dream. A lot of people have recurring dreams. I think, I thought this one was a common one. I might have been wrong. Um, the one where you show up to school in your, you show up to school in your, Underwear, thank you. Some people, good. At the last service, there were only two people. And then after service, I told, I confessed that I've had that dream, and this guy grabs me and he says, I won't tell you his name, he's like, I've also had a dream <laughs> where I show up, and I just want you to know I, I can relate, I can really relate to you. It's like, I didn't know it was that big a deal. <laughs> like, am I exposing something to an unworthy recipient right now, somebody who's not going to hold it with empathy and understanding? Maybe I am. You show up to school, and in my dream, I've got, like, my shirt on, and then it takes me, like, three periods to realize that I don't have pants on. You know that dream? We all have something similar. What is it that we don't like about that dream? It seems so obvious. Yeah, the whole thing, says Bob Brown. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah, Emerson, it's, it's, the, it's being exposed, like... To put it another way, people see me. People see me and, uh, in, in ways that I want them not to. I want to hide. I do not like the experience of being exposed. Right? Is that, that's pretty common. Are we in a, can we get a, a, a head nod on that one? Okay. Thank you. We don't like to be exposed. 
Brene Brown says, if you can share your story, if you can expose yourself to someone with emp- who will hold it with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. And I want to say, yes, absolutely, that's great. And at the same time, it's like being in the middle of that dream and my favorite teacher coming up to me and saying, it's okay. But okay, where are my clothes? Like, I'm still naked here. That's actually, that's wonderful, and maybe that helps a little bit but I still am naked. You didn't actually finally fully solve the thing. So if the world wants intimacy, wants vulnerability, and I think, that, I think there's a major push in, our, in American culture right now to say uh, leaders should lead with a limp. You need to be uh, honest about your weaknesses and your shortcomings. And, and if you try and hide what you're, you know, if you try and hide stories of shame, we know they just bubble up and and, and push out sideways, and you're going to get angry at people you're not actually angry at. All these things that we hear, those are really, really true and good. But we still need the clothes. We still need some kind of off answer. You can't just climb into a pit with somebody and say, hey, it's great, vulnerability, I brought the rope. And you're like, that's no good to me in a pit. The rope doesn't actually... We need something to anchor that rope to out there that will pull us out. And that's where the power comes in. So if the world is really into vulnerability, then we church people are into the prayer. We're into the power. And this is, this is exactly what I experienced in Peru. And if anybody had asked me to share about Peru, and they didn't, they asked Rachel. <laughs> and numerous comments. This one was legitimate. Your wife really outshined you today, Corby. <laughs> yes, she did. But this is exactly what I would have had to share because about, uh, we're about three or four days in and as, uh, as some, of the, some of the team members mentioned, we had a daily time where we'd individually go and read uh, a portion of scripture and spend time in prayer. And I was preparing to do that. I'd come, uh, my practice was kind of come down out of my room early, get a cup of coffee and kind of go back and find a space alone. And Michael Briggs was already down there. Uh, and I just said, hey, good morning, as I'm getting my cup of coffee. And he says about the devotion, it's a tough one this morning. And I had no idea what he's talking about. I mean, I knew what the devotion was, what the passage was, because I wrote the thing. And so I know that we're going to look at the passage and, uh, at the end of Revelation that Rachel referred to um, about the new heavens and new earth where God finally fully joins heaven and earth and his presence is with his people and he's in the midst of them and there's no need for sun there's no more uh night because he is the lamp he is the sun and everything is fully put right and michael says it's a hard one today and i've got no idea what he's talking about i've been in this community as you guys saw you guys saw in the pictures and heard in the stories i've been in this place and when you're a pastor in a community like that you have all these opportunities like and now the pastor's going to preach for us. I am. And now the pastor's going to give a devotion. How long? 30 minutes. Oh. And now the pastor's going to pro- proclaim an ironic blessing over everyone here individually touching all of their heads. What? You know, you get all these opportunities to do things like that, and, and especially to pray over people. I've been doing that all week. All week up to that point. And somehow I had not made the connection of this great, glorious future and the place where I was presently living and why that might be difficult, why that might be a challenge. Have you guys seen this Young Life game? Young Life is a ministry to, to uh, high school students. Um, 
and we're, uh, our church is pretty active in Young Life in our community. And, uh, and one of the Young Life games is uh, to get two teenagers and you blindfold them, and then you make them put on these really thick like dishwasher gloves, you know, the ones that you wear around the kitchen or, uh, or something like that, the real thick rubber. And then you put objects in front of them, they're blindfolded, and they have to tell what the object is. Uh, it's a soccer ball. Uh, it's a rubber chicken. You know, and they race to see who can identify the object fastest. That was a lot like I went through Peru. I wore these big, thick rubber gloves. When you wear them, your, your senses are dulled, right? That's the point of the game. That's why it's difficult, because you can't feel as effectively. You can't experience what that item is in front of you, and it's difficult to identify. And it was like I was laying on hands with big, thick rubber gloves and not actually feeling what was going on there. I was really happy to do the pastor thing and bless people and pray for them and, and, and preach to them. But I hadn't been broken about where they were, about how their life was, about their, their struggles, their sorrows, their challenges until that moment. When I read that passage and God uh, pushed in on me, you, you have not even experienced this disconnect, that there's a great day coming and it's not here yet. And that should be crushing God said his power, his presence shows up at the intersection of vulnerable and powerful. At that intersection. So so connection and intimacy without the power doesn't solve anything can share your story and it can even be received well, but that doesn't solve the root problem. But power without connection also is not a solution. We're called to offer prayers that involve um, all these intimate things that James references here. He says our prayers should involve confessing our sins to one another. Again, a really intimate, dangerous act to say this is something that I've been dealing with over and over and I can't seem to kick it and I should be able to by now, which is not true, but we think we should. And so we have to offer it to somebody and say, will you pray for me? Or we're struggling with something, whether a sin or a sadness, and we say, the only recourse left to me is to ask uh, my elders and their wives to come and stop everything that they're doing and come to me and then anoint me with oil to touch my head and lay their hands on me and offer their prayers. That is dangerous. That is vulnerable. That's scary to do. There's intimacy and identification in that, as well as power. You know who I'd like to lay hands on me and pray for me? King Arthur. King Arthur has been a character, a major literary character in Western civilization for like a thousand years now, about. King Arthur is this paradigm. This is why he's so popular. He's a paradigm of power. He is a warrior king who fights skillfully, who will, who will uh, 
He will allow no injustice in his land. He will root it out ruthlessly. He's a king of righteousness and power, but he's also a gentleman. He has manners. He is, in truth, a gentle man. And he's merciful, especially when he's being sinned against. He is very reluctant to even pursue Lancelot, who stole his bride. He is this great intersection of vulnerability and gentleness and honesty with power and strength and authority. And he's, he's, he's lasted for so long, even though his most recent movie, Bond, did you watch it? I'm sorry, so good. He's still a major uh, character and has remained so because of this intersection, because he reflects our King, Jesus. He reflects our King, Jesus, who loved us so much, who was so desperate over your sins and your sadnesses that he came to take them on himself. And he didn't just experience them and put his arm around you. He he provided a solution for you, and he pulled them onto himself and pinned all those sins and sadnesses onto himself on the cross that he could drag them into death with him. And begin the ending of sin and sorrow forever. But he didn't just he didn't just drag them away. He got up again from the dead and he ascends into heaven. And the scriptures tell us in Romans 8 and Hebrews 7 that Jesus' high priestly role, I'll explain what that means in a minute, but there's two roles in that are to take care of our sin and then to bring us to God in prayer. And it says that our heavenly, our, our Jesus, the Jesus who lived and walked among us, who, who pulled away our sin into death with him, is at the right hand of the Father praying for you, praying over you, hearing your confession, hearing your sins and your sadnesses, and then in that sense laying his hands on you and praying over you in power. Do you think that there is no one who will understand? Do you think that you're too dirty uh, to, to even voice aloud what's going on inside of you? Jesus is near. He's walked in these shoes. He's walked on this earth. Do you think that there is no hope for you finally defeating what has owned you for so long? Do you think that there is, do you believe that there is no power strong enough to take care of what ails you? Jesus is powerful. He says, all authority in heaven and earth and has been given to me. And he is even now praying over you into the ear of a father who is not reluctant to answer those prayers. You have received prayers of vulnerability and power. And in that, we are called to go out. How would that change your prayers if you knew that that even now, your high priest in heaven offers you those kind of prayers, prayers that understand exactly where you are. They're not rubber glove prayers like mine. They know exactly where you are and have the power to heal and to meet you there. How does that change? Um, one of the ways that uh, FH Peru works is, uh, that was referenced in, in some of the sharing is through child sponsorship. Now, that doesn't mean that a child who gets sponsored starts driving a Ferrari all of a sudden 
because they got American money and the other kids don't. It's actually just a way to get money into the community. And so the, the child is sponsored, yes, but the, but the resources are spread among the community for programs that will benefit those same children. Um, tutoring and music education, things like that. Uh, and as, uh, as Rachel talked about, one of the, uh, we got to go into the home of Tony, uh, the, the child that we've begun sponsoring and, and, and meet with them. And, uh, and Rachel told the story on herself, so I'm just acknowledging that. What happened in that home, that is the intersection of vulnerable and powerful. Um, for, for, uh, for Rachel and Becky, where's Becky? Rachel and Becky and Reese to walk back to, to that part of the room with, with that mother and hear her, hear her sadnesses to enter into where their tears intermingled and then offering prayers with the laying on of hands. That's what we can do. We don't have to guard ourselves from the sadnesses of those around us because it's too hard to hold that sadness. It's too much for us to hold. It's too much tension to, to live. And the, and the fact that we have a powerful God who is strong enough to heal all wounds and yet doesn't. We can trust We can trust Jesus who hated our wounds so much that he took them on himself. And it gives us power to go into those places, to to listen, to be part of those prayers. But having received, look, our whole date calendar, do you know what our dating is, is revolved around? Like, bef- you know, so we say some years are B.C. and some years are A.D. Do, we know, do you know what that means? Right, B.C., before Christ, A.D. It's not the most popular anymore, but this is how it's been done for hundreds of years. A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. So since Jesus came, look, look, our whole entire dating system revolves around the fact that you're weak. Everybody in the entire world knows that you needed a savior, that you're not good enough. Right? That's what that means. Like we do that in our textbooks. Every time you see AD, it means you're not enough. So stop hiding it. Stop trying to pretend that you are. Stop trying to pretend that you didn't need this earth-shifting event of Jesus, the God-man, coming to earth and living and dying in your place and rising again in power. We can offer that to each other. We don't have to hide it anymore. So not only do we get to lay hands on each other in that intimate, vulnerable place, we can be vulnerable enough to offer it to each other and say, I need prayer. I need you to bring the power of the risen Christ to bear into my life as you pray with faith over me. I'm putting myself, the language that James uses is that, over and under. I'm putting myself under your care as you bring Christ to bear in my life, through your prayers. The only reason we can be that boldly honest, that vulnerable, that faithful and full of power is because of this meal, because of what this meal represents to us. If it's anything less than Christ dying for you and rising again in your place, to pull you into new life with him, then it's just, it's really, it's just Brene Brown who was wonderful, but, but incomplete. It's just sharing 
your underwear dream with somebody and they put their arm around you, but don't give you new clothes. Because in this meal, in this meal we participate again in Christ's 